our last week of this series that we have called The Faith We Sing. Uh, we've been kind of taking a look at some of the classic hymns of our faith uh, that maybe we grew up singing, and some we still sing. Uh, How Great Thou Art has found its way, worked into uh, songs when we sing here at Christ the Word. Uh, but really kind of taking a look at these hymns and looking at what are what's the faith that we are singing when we sing these songs? Because we are saying something when we sing songs in church. You're saying something when you sing songs in your car, too. Whether people decide you know it or not. But what is it we're proclaiming? What is it we are saying? And so we've looked at several hymns, and this Sunday we're going to take a closer look at how great they are. But before we do that and go any further, let's go to God in prayer. So let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for who you are and that you love us so deeply and that you are so great and we have reason to sing. We pray that your spirit would be upon us now as we gather and worship, whether in this place or someone watching on their computer in their home. We pray that your spirit would be upon us. And we pray that you would silence any voice in us but your own. And that we'd only hear the whisperings of your truth. And Lord, I pray that as my words stray from yours, may they fall away and quickly be forgotten. But may your word, the truth, and your promise remain upon our hearts forever. In Jesus' name we pray, and all the saints say, Amen. Amen. So I start with a question for all of you. The question is this, is what makes something great? If you had to answer that question, what makes something great? What makes something great for you? Something that's way beyond that you can't touch yourself. You, you, you can't way get to that. You can't get to that point because you're not strong enough, not good enough, whatever it is. You can't get to that. So that's really great. So in that definition, then greatness is beyond our grasp, in a sense. Mine for sure. In yours for sure. <laughs> yeah. Anybody else want to make something great? Something that is fulfilling, okay? Overall, really good. Something that you have love for, or that brings you to love. Probably something that's great. Something you have love for. Something where you invest a lot of your love energy as she holds her child. Anybody else? What makes something great? It's like the pinnacle. The pinnacle. So if you have a joke, you can tell a good joke, or you can tell a great joke. So a good joke, or you can tell a great joke. Yeah. And you can tell a bad joke. Or quite a bad joke. My father knows all. What makes something great? I mean, is it the size of something? Is it the distance? Is it the magnitude? Is it the longevity? Is it the prowess? <coughs> and then the follow-up question is can we even be trusted to decide what is great? Because I would say that there are probably plenty of things that we've we we thought was great, and then maybe we, we, we even come to understand later that we were wrong. I mean, take things in our memory, for instance. 
You ever remember something to be great and later find out that maybe it wasn't all that great? I mean, I remember my first roller coaster. I was at Myrtle Beach, and my dad talked me into going on the corkscrew. You gotta love the name of that. Give you a, give you a good indication of how that coaster was gonna end. And so as we're standing in line, you know, I'm, I'm sweating bullets. And my dad loves roller coasters. And I'm like, okay, all right. And I'm looking at this and thinking, this is, this is crazy. This, this is crazy. What am I doing? But we rode the roller coaster. I had a blast. In fact, we went on it again immediately. And I was thinking, this is the greatest day of my life. This is the coolest roller coaster that has ever been. And then I remember thinking of that. It was, it was the pinnacle, to use that word, in my mind for so long. And then years later, we went back and I look at it and I go, it's not all that impressive. I've been on many roller coasters since that time, many bigger ones than that. But you know, isn't it interesting how there are certain things that, that change over time or maybe we, we gain a little bit of different insight into. We remember things different. Or it can be completely contextual, can't it? Because if I were to ask you, if you had to run, what would you consider to be a long distance? We'd all have a little bit different answer. You talk to Keith, Keith's distance would probably be longer than anybody else would conceive. I mean, I remember in elementary school that when we'd have to run the mile for the fitness test, I'm thinking, who runs a mile? Seriously, why are you going to run a mile? Little did I know that I'd be running 26.2 later in my life. And I still consider that long, but there's a guy in my workout group that just ran a 50K, which is 31.067 whatever miles. 31 miles and some change? Are you crazy? I swore I'd never do 26.2 again. But isn't it interesting how that can be contextual? What would be considered a great distance? The challenge with measuring greatness is that measuring greatness comes down to what? Perspective. Doesn't it in a sense? Measuring greatness comes down to a sense of perspective. And so you have to even ask yourself this question. If it comes down to perspective, it's something that can be quite uh, subjective. That's the word I was looking for. Not objective. Subjective. Then you have to ask yourself, is my perspective correct? Am I seeing all the angles? Are my eyes and mind and heart calibrated, so to speak? Kate's a photographer, and she has to, you know, she sends off her photos to a lab through the Ethernet, through the ether of all these connected computers. They print it off and send her a print back. How can she be sure that the colors that she's seeing on her computer monitor match up with what's going to be printed on a piece of paper? Well, it has to be calibrated so that she's seeing what actually is. And so we're kind of like that. We, we have to be calibrated. Our, are we even seeing through the correct perspective? Are we seeing all the angles? Measuring greatness comes down to perspective. Do you have the correct perspective? Well, that's where this song comes into play. How great thou art. How great thou art. I mean, it really is a hymn about perspective. Does that make sense? It's this hymn about seeing God through a different lens, through a different set of eyes. 
In fact, when you hear the history of the song, you kind of get a little bit more of the story of why I would say this is about perspective. See, the story goes that this song first originated, like many, in poetry. And it was a poem composed by Mr. Carl Gustav Boberg, uh, who lived from 1859 to 1940, so a while ago. And he was a Swedish pastor, an editor and a member of Swedish Parliament. Well, one day, Boberg was out hiking and walking through the countryside, and this big thunderstorm blew in. He watched with awe this thunderstorm and just how much power it contained and the severe wind. And when everything kind of blew over, he's standing there, and the first thing he heard, clear as day, was a church bell off in the distance. And being in that state of awe of the thunderstorm and then hearing the church bell, immediately these words came to his mind. Oh Lord my God, when I am awesome wonder, consider all the worlds that I am in your hand. You see the perspective in that statement? You see how being in that mindset that he was of seeing this great thunderstorm and all the wind blowing and just knowing that you're at nature's mercy when a big storm blows through. The same way sailors have to gain an appreciation for the ocean, knowing that the ocean is always going to be more powerful than them. Water is a powerful force. So you have to come and appreciate it and respect it with awe. Well, isn't God kind of similar to that? That we have to come and see God with this great power and awe. And the perspective is that, yeah, you're a little speck of dust. And God is so much greater. So that's where our Elie, I love your definition, that greatness is really kind of beyond our grasp. It's something so beyond us that we can never reach. Well, in a lot of ways, isn't that God? What's interesting about this hymn, though, is that it didn't originate in a song. Here you have this Swedish pastor who ended up composing a poem that was titled O Storhud, which is O Great God. And it was published in 1891. It was later translated into German, because it was, it was in a different language, in 1927. And then was published in a Russian version from the German text. And then years later, How Great Thou Art was translated by Stuart Heim, an English missionary to the Ukraine. He found some version in a Russian text, and so he began singing it in uh, evangelistic meetings, and then he added um, a fourth verse. So the fourth verse, When Christ Shall Come, he actually added that. He felt that it needed to end with this triumphant call of Jesus coming and taking us home. And then later, Dr. Edwin Orr, a fuller theological seminary, is said to have brought the hymn to America and began singing it in 1954, and it was published. And then later, it really gained its fame in 1954 when it began to be sung at the Billy Graham Crusades. Mm-hmm first in London and then in the U.S. And that's when it really gained popularity uh, being sung by George Beverly Shea. That might be a version some of you will remember. 
But isn't it interesting that so many people played a part into the song coming into being? I mean, it originated in the Swedish pastor. Then he had this missionary to the Ukraine stumbling upon it and singing it. And then somebody else then later publishes it, and then somebody else sings it. And so it's kind of this, there's no one person that can claim credit for the whole. It's been added to. But isn't that interesting because it seems appropriate for a song about God's greatness would be less about how great any one person who composed it might be. It's really about God's greatness. So would you say that that's great? What is greatness? Well, you know what? Even considering the song, that question still lingered in me, so I turned to the trusted source of information, Google, and typed in my question. Who else turns to Google for important questions? Why not? Let's see what pops up. So I Google what makes something great and stumbled upon an article uh, that this man had written about thoughts of greatness. And he said, according to him, he thought that there were three main factors that contributed to something being great. And the three factors were this. First, impact. So impact, impact uh, that particularly impacts people's lifestyles in general and has a lasting, long effect. And then he, he pointed out, you know, certain brands that are among us have long-lasting impact. Uh, his example is Apple. You know, Apple is a company known for its innovation and is seen to be, you know, a powerful company. And you have other, other companies, I mean, who doesn't recognize the Nike swoosh or the golden arches? There's lasting impact. In fact, these people have helped even shape culture, sometimes without even realizing it. So there's this idea of impact. Next, he says, inspiration. So it's impact, inspiration. Inspiration is that greatness can only be quantified if it inspires others to emulate what has already been achieved. And then he points out inspiration, you know, role models or figures that people would consider to be great among us. I mean, you consider in sports, Michael Jordan is still a name. He hasn't played in a really long time, but he's still a name people recognize. And you have politicians and you have activist figures. I mean, you have all these people who would be considered inspirational to others. But then third, after impact and inspiration, he had consistency. Everyone has talent, he says, but to utilize that talent in the right direction with the right resources at the right time takes a person to stand out from the crowd. To be great, you need to establish an identity of your own, which is only possible by working hard over constant periods of time. So impact, inspiration, and consistency is what this author says creates impact. Now, I understand in reading this article, the author did not have God in mind when he's answering the question of what makes greatness. But I still thought he had some interesting thoughts that bear us considering a little further as we look at the song, How Great Thou Art, and, and recalibrate our own understanding to how great God is. So we're going to use the song 
and use this frame to look at the impact, inspiration, and consistency of God. So that perhaps at the end of this, we can truly have a better understanding of how great our God is. So we'll start with impact. What is God's impact? <coughs> what is God's impact? The Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, and thy power throughout the universe displayed. What would you say is God's impact? He's creator of it all. Creator of it all. Nothing that exists exists without the fingerprint of God. And I know, maybe like me, you've had some of those moments like he had when he composed the original poem where you're, you're just caught in a moment and you realize, wow, there, there has to be a God. For me, it can be a breathtaking scenery. Of, you know, you're up on Skyline Drive and you're looking at the mountains and the valleys and you're just looking at all this creation and the beauty of it. And, and considering the complexity of each little animal, each little plant, how it all comes in together to create this beautiful ecosystem. And in my mind, I'm thinking, how could you look at this and not believe that there is a creator? That there is a God? That this was intelligent design that didn't just happen? We have those moments. God's impact is all around us. And there are plenty of scripture passages that speak to God's greatness. But there's one that's one of my favorites. And if you've been around for a while, you've probably heard me reference it in different places, and perhaps you have as well. But it's found in the Old Testament book of Job. Anybody know where I'm going with this? Speak of God's greatness. See, Job is a man that had everything, but then lost everything. And kind of this divine bet between the accuser, Satan, and God. It was, the accuser was trying to get Job to curse God. And so this, it's really a book, it's all about suffering. You see the suffering of Job and him wrestling with his suffering. And will he curse God in the end? And he gets kind of bad advice from friends. We never get bad advice from friends, do we? <laughs> and near the end of the book is this moment where God finally speaks up to Job and corrects his perspective. It's probably one of the biggest mic drop moments in Scripture. Because here you have this several chapter long monologue of God really kind of laying into Job, and I believe it was done in a loving way. I don't believe it was this put you under my thumb, because we do know the love of our God. But I do think it was a little tough love of going, look, you don't see everything that I see. You don't understand and so I want to read at the beginning of that. He corrects, corrects Job's uh, thinking. And Keith, if you wouldn't mind advancing this for me, sure. I, can, I can read it. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you. I love that. Brace yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, if you understand who marked off its dimensions, surely you know. 
Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were their footings set? And on who or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? And when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far, this far you may come and no further. Here's where your proud ways halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges? And shape the wicked out of it. The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light, and the the appraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. And this is just a portion of this passage. I mean, it goes on for several chapters of God laying down, where were you? Or how does this happen? And can't you, can't you in your mind's eye imagine Job just kind of standing there? Kind of when you have maybe one of those moments as a teenager when you thought you knew it all. And then you end up really screwing something up, and so you're forced to recognize that you don't. And then you're standing before this authority figure. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a police officer or a judge. And they're laying down the law to you and saying, do you really understand? Do you understand the repercussions of your actions? Do you understand how this all fits? And you're just sitting there going, apparently not. (laughs) This is Job's awe-inspiring moment. What would you say is God's impact? Considering these words he spoke to Job, and I believe through Scripture speaks to us today, because we like to put ourselves on a pedestal of greatness, don't we? But do we have the same impact as God? Consider how the Gospel writer John puts it. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made, that has been made. Simply put, nothing exists without God. I don't know of a greater impact than that. Nothing, absolutely nothing exists. That's right. (laughs) Nothing exists without God. I'm glad you added that point. Thank you. So we've considered God's impact, which is great. How is God inspired. How would you consider God to be inspired? Does God inspire you onward to be better, to learn, just like we have these inspiring figures? (coughs) Does God inspire you? And when I think that God, his son, not spirit, Send him to die. I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. 
don't know of anything else that's more inspiring than that. Because yes, we have this God who is so great, the God of Job, who's looking on it. Where were you, little speck of dust? When I created all this, you think you're so great, then how deep are the oceans? Have you seen the gates of death? I mean, the, the list goes on. That God is also the God who sent him to die and take away our sins. Not just the high and mighty, but the God with us, the God for us. You know that inspiring? I mean, that's what we were reading about in the Isaiah passage a few moments ago for the sermon. We were, we were looking at Isaiah's prophecy of Jesus to come. But all the suffering they would go through for us. Did God have to do that? Did God have to come to us, step down from his mighty throne to love us in that way? There's no greater love than this than one would lay down their life for another. And the God of known and unknown universes died for you. No wonder we read in Ephesians then. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Do you think we have a God with such great impact and so inspiring that he's worth imitating? Isn't that what we're called to do, to imitate Christ as best we can? Knowing that maybe that greatness is beyond our grasp, but it doesn't mean we don't keep striving to be better, not for our own sake, but in response to the greatness God has given us through forgiveness, love, and holiness. So we keep striving onward because there are times that maybe you might be the only Christ that someone may see. Now, you are a far cry from Jesus. But what you want to put your best foot forth, to at least try to help be the one pointing the way, like John the Baptist did, saying, it's not me, it's him. Therefore, be imitators of God. Would you say that our God is impactful and inspiring? Do you believe it in your heart? Do you have that perspective? Is God consistent? Is God consistent? Or maybe to put the question another way, can God be trusted? Because don't trust and consistency kind of go hand in hand. I mean, you may know somebody who, who has great impact is inspiring, but if they don't show up, when they say they're going to show up and they're consistent about that, your trust tends to wane, doesn't it? So can God be trusted? When Christ shall come, the shout of acclamation can take me home. What joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration and then proclaim my God how great it is.
this final stanza of how great thou art is really, we're singing about something that has yet fully come to be. Like when we read the book of Revelation, we're reading something that hasn't, and hasn't fully been actualized yet. So we're still waiting for Christ to come and return and for everything to be set as it should be because the world is not yet as it should be. Agreed? So is God consistent? Can God be trusted that he will show up? Can God be trusted? Is God consistent in the trouble that you're experiencing right now to show up and help you in your grief, to help you in your struggle? Can God be trusted when you're praying on your knees and wondering, where where are you, God, in all of this? Can God be trusted? Is he consistent? I think there are reasons we tend to doubt God and doubt that he can be trusted. First, I would say reasons we doubt God is we just don't know. When you're not close to God, you don't know God's character. If you're not looking at his word, you don't know who this is we're even speaking of. But even beyond that, it's not just that. Some we, we distrust others. So if we distrust others, the people we can see right before us that are closest to us, how can we trust a God that is beyond us? And finally, I say we must we misunderstand that. How often do we read scripture and go, well, obviously, have you ever heard someone talk about the mean, angry God of the Old Testament and the loving God of the New Testament? Well, I'm here to say they're both the same God. And God's character didn't suddenly change. You know, God didn't find medication for his anger issues somewhere between the Old Testament and the New Testament and then change. No, God's character was the same throughout. So maybe we misunderstand the character of God. But God can be trusted. In fact, the psalmist sings about it. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. God can be trusted. Our God has great impact. Our God is an inspiration and our God is consistent. So my question to you that I leave you with today is your God great. When you think, and as best you can, as your little puny mind can comprehend, and I'm talking about my own puny mind too, so I'm not just knocking yours. But when you consider God as your God great, or is your God easily packed up into a little box that you can shove in your pocket? <coughs> or is your God beyond you, outside of your grasp. The pinnacle that we just can't reach is your God great. Because I'm here to tell you, if you're going to make it through this life and have any joy, a sense of purpose throughout this journey, you're going to need a mighty great God. And I happen to know one. And he knows you too. Is your God great? <coughs> Let us pray.
we pray that you would remain great in our lives. And that when our perspective changes and we lose sight of your greatness, that you would recalibrate us, that you would help renew our perspective so that we wouldn't lose sight of your greatness. And Lord, if that takes a mic drop moment like Job had, or maybe even a holy two-by-four upside the head, Lord, we pray that you would never let us lose sight of your greatness because we need a great God. And you just happen to be just that. In your most holy name we pray. Amen. Good morning, man.